Hey y'all, what is going on? What is going on? It's your girl, Melba Pearson, Melba for Miami, Melba for Justice, also known as the Resident Legal Diva. And it's time for another Mondays with Melba. A little bit of a heavier tone because we have a lot going on here in Florida. Um, first off, my heart goes out to everyone impacted by Hurricane Ian. Um, I'm based in South Florida. Luckily, we escaped the brunt of it. You know, heavy winds, rains, all of that, but our friends on the west coast of Florida, especially in the Naples area, Sanibel, um, Fort Myers, I mean, horrendous destruction. I don't know, some of you may have been seeing some of the pictures. Um, I mean, some folks are never going to be able to rebuild. So I'm going to drop some links in the comments. Um, if you're watching this and, or listening to this through the podcast, it'll be in the body of the announcement, ways that you can get involved, donate, volunteer, and try and help in some way, because this is going to take a very long time for some of these communities to rebuild, if ever. Um, and it's just... It's a lot, right? Because you think about it, you know, especially as somebody who lives in South Florida, you know, I'm thinking like that could be me, you know, and, and that's the downside of living in paradise is that you do have these natural disasters that are getting more and more frequent and stronger, you know, um, it used to be that, okay, category two, category three, but now we're getting more and more category four and five storms, which means more destruction. So again, if you can help, please do, and definitely stay informed. Um, and again, if folks need anything, reach out to me. I'm happy to try and help connect folks with resources and all of that. Okay, so staying on the topic of Florida, well, it is the beginning of October and vote by mail ballots are going to go out. Unfortunately for the folks who are in those impacted areas, I don't know what voting is gonna look like over there because literally there's like no infrastructure whatsoever at this juncture. Uh, but for the rest of Florida, the vote by mail ballots will go out shortly. And then now we're getting to the countdown of early voting, which will be approximately two weeks before the election. And then of course the election on November 8th. But I wanted to talk about the election in the context of Ian, but also the ridiculous stunt that Florida Governor uh, Ron DeSantis pulled in sending uh, undocumented immigrants to Martha's Vineyard. Let me break that down for y'all for a second. Like so, I know a lot of folks may have heard about it and heard bits and pieces of that. Some in substance, there was a number of immigrants that had crossed the border that were undocumented. They presented themselves, which is what you're supposed to do if you come across undocumented and you want to claim asylum because your home country is unsafe because of war, because of political strife, because of gang warfare, or because of your identity. If you live in a country that's highly homophobic and you're somebody who's gay, uh, and if you, know, you go back to your home country, you're going to be killed. Those are the types of reasons that you can claim asylum in the United States. So the protocol is if you cross undocumented and you want to claim asylum, you immediately present yourself to border authorities and say, hey, I'm undocumented. I need asylum. They then take you, they process you, and then you are released with a hearing date, which means you have to come back. You tell them, hey, I'm headed to 
Boston. I'm headed to New York. I'm headed to Chicago. Okay, within two weeks of your arrival or whatever the time frame is, you need to report to this immigration office and present yourself. And that's their way of tracking you while you're in the country and also you being able to get updates on when your hearing date is so that you can, again, move through the system and then a judge makes a decision whether or not you are entitled to asylum, whether or not you have the grounds to get asylum. That's how it normally works. So like any other day, a group of folks that were undocumented crossed, they presented themselves, right? And then they were starting to be processed by the feds because that's who handles this. It's not local government, it's the federal government. When some people came up to them and said, hey, you know, if you want to get on this plane, we're going to fly you to Boston and you can get jobs, you'll get housing, it's going to be amazing, right? So these folks, it ended up being a group of about 50 folks from Venezuela, which we all know Venezuela is incredibly unstable because of economics and of basically communist authoritarian government. You know, a lot of folks have been coming over the last few years because of the instability in their country. So it was about 50 Venezuelans who were like, oh yeah, sure. Okay, cool. Like I'll take that opportunity. And they get on the plane. Problem is it was a lie. Once they got on a plane, they got dumped in Martha's Vineyard with no job, no housing, no support, no nothing, All right? So the people of Martha's Vineyard, of course, we know Martha's Vineyard is a very wealthy enclave up near Massachusetts. And, you know, the Obamas have a house there, like Oprah has a house there. There's a long, actually, history of wealthy Black folks that live up there little known historical fact, um, as well as white, wealthy white people, etc. cetera. Um, they were like, okay, we didn't get a heads up that folks were coming, but what did they do? They mobilized. They, the churches got involved. Um, different legal organizations came down and volunteered to help give them immigration advice and all of that. But these people were basically left in a very messy situation. Now, how does that connect to Florida? Well, it was the Florida governor who paid through our taxpayer dollars for that plane. He literally chartered a plane to go to Texas. Now let's keep in mind, these aren't undocumented folks that came off the, the, the border of, you know, and, and came to Miami, right? We do have an issue here where folks will come across by boat and sometimes it's literally strung together with like needle and thread, basically. I mean, this is not like you're coming on a luxury ship. These are folks with basically the clothes on their back and all the money that they had, they paid to somebody to get them over here to the States. So there is an issue here in Miami with undocumented folks coming, right? But that's Miami. This is Texas a whole other state where we don't pay taxes for Texas. We don't live in Texas. We're not worried about Texas. Let the Texas governor worry about what's going on in Texas, right? But the governor's argument was that these 50 Venezuelans were going to come to Miami. So to prevent undocumented migrants from coming to Miami, I'm going to use the Florida taxpayer dollars to fly them to a whole nother place and dump them on the doorstep of these quote unquote, rich liberals, ha ha ha. Few things wrong with that scenario. Number one, let's talk about the actual plane, right? So this was a chartered plane, a chartered private plane, okay? Whose plane was it? That plane was connected to a member 
of the governor's administration. He represented that charter company in a variety of lawsuits over the course of several years. So he basically hooks up one of his people with the contract to fly these undocumented folks to someplace where they have no connections and no resources, right? So that stunt was the first deposit was about $610,000. And then there was a second amount payment made, which the intent was to fly more undocumented migrants from Texas now to Delaware on President Biden's doorstep, right? That cost was around $900,000. So we're looking at close to $2 million, basically somewhere between $1.5, $1.6 million in Florida taxpayer money to fly people from the state of Texas to Martha's Vineyard. And oh, by the way, that second flight never happened. So that $900,000 that was paid for that second flight, yeah, that's just that's just money poof gone. No services rendered, right? And now think about the fact we just had Hurricane Ian. You got whole communities that houses are destroyed, places are completely flooded. You know, folks are without power. At one point it was 2 million Floridians without power. I'm thinking that $1.6 million would be really handy right now to help with cleanup efforts. But instead that money was squandered on a political stunt, not to protect Floridians, but to assist this governor in his anticipated 2024 presidential run. See, not cool. So the plain aspect, problematic. Number two, let's talk about the whole concept of what he did. Now, the federal government has a process in place to be able to process people that are undocumented. You may not like it, but the reality is that's what Congress is for. That's what the Senate is for. They have taken on immigration reform before and haven't been able to get anywhere. I'll get into why in a second. But when you're looking at the fact that the feds have a system in place, by taking those 50 undocumented people and dumping them in another city, that circumvents the process. So now the feds have no way of keeping track of those 50 folks. So he just, the governor just ended up messing up his own program because those folks can still find their way back to Miami. And guess what? The feds won't know that they're in Miami. So, dude, you just shot yourself in the foot. Again, making no sense. Also, let's talk about the history of this, right? This is not the first time that a group of folks decided they wanted to move undesirables around in an attempt to embarrass all oh, these progressive liberals that talk about these issues, they really don't care. If you go back to the 50s and 60s, there was a movement in the South to bus Black folks from the South to the North. And they did the same thing. They basically went around, they took out ads, they put out leaflets and said to black folks in Arkansas and Alabama and, you know, whatever, and said, listen, you know, you're not doing so great down here. There's racism down here. You need to go up north. There, you're going to have a job. You're going to make so much money. It's going to be amazing. You're going to have the best life ever. So, of course, folks are like, oh, OK, that sounds good. Right. Let me give this a shot. So they put on their Sunday best. They, you know, gathered up their family. They got on these buses and then they were just taken up north 
and literally dumped on a street corner with no job, no housing, no resources. Again, the goal was for the South to embarrass the North because they wanted to expose the Northerners as being just as racist as they were. Well, it backfired because the people were like, oh my God, what the heck? All these people are here and wait, you've been lied to? And so they took them in. The churches mobilized, other folks, community folks mobilized, brought food, helped them out, gave them money, helped them to get to a destination where they can, you know, make some money and get a job and everything else. And what ended up happening is they did a couple of those trips and then the Southerners realized, oh yeah, this isn't working the way we thought it would. And they had to let it go because they were not able to embarrass the Northerners and be like, see, they're all racist. Now let's be clear, racism is, a, is everywhere, right? There's no corner of this world where racism doesn't exist in some way, shape or form, right? That, that's just the reality. But the fact of the matter is, there are still more good people out there than bad. And when you dump people and do this kind of thing where you try to play these political stunts, it ends up backfiring because at the end of the day, good always prevails. And that's another reason why folks need to know history. So there's that. So, you know, kind of looking at that whole bigger picture and the concerns of the fact that we need immigration reform in this country. I can definitely agree with that. I think that there's ways to be able to expedite these processes and, you know, make them more humane and making sure that the people who really, you know, need that asylum are able to get it, that people who want to come here have a pathway to be able to become a citizen all of that stuff, absolutely, right? But here's the thing, Congress after Congress under different administrations have tried to take on immigration reform in some way, shape or form. It never passes. The last time was in the Obama administration in 2013 and Republicans blocked any kind of reform. So, you know, and this is again, a situation where Republicans have had power and they haven't been able to do anything on a federal level around immigration reform. Makes you wonder why that is. So here's an interesting piece of information. I'm going to drop a link to that in the comments, but I had the opportunity to work with a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist while I was at the ACLU of Florida. And in one of his uh, reports that he had done, he actually went to the border and started talking to undocumented folks that were crossing over and trying to understand their experience and learn the real scope of the problem. One thing that he learned was very interesting. He learned that the majority of folks that were coming across the border at the time he was there had jobs. Yep, they had jobs. And you're thinking, well, how is that possible? Here's how it goes. You have these big farms, right? They're like, listen, we're short of people. They already have a few migrant workers that are there. They tell the migrant workers, hey, you got family, friends, cousins, anybody who can come across the border. Listen, I'm not paying for them to come, but if they can get here and if they can find their way here, they've got work. And that's the thing that folks don't want to talk about because there is a whole economic driver under this. Think about the bigger history of farming in the United States, right? You think way back in slavery days, right? You had these plantations that ran off of free labor the labor of enslaved people. Once the Civil War happened 
and you know, obviously folks were freed. They tried to come back now with the sharecropper idea where you're being severely underpaid and you're still picking cotton in the hot sun, right? But then again, as the industrial revolution, you know, continued more factories, we've got more automation, we've got cars, folks started to be like, listen, I don't need to do this. I can go up north or out west and go either get my own farm out west and do my own thing, or I can go up north and work in a plant in a factory where I can make more money, I can do better for my family, I'm in a less racist environment. So then you saw this migration to the cities and away from farming, right? For a number of reasons. And then as time progressed, you started to see those smaller mom and pop farms really struggle because again, the kids grow up and the kids are like, you know what? I'm not feeling this farm life. I want to go live in the city. I want to, you know, work in an office with air conditioning, whatever the case may be. And so now who is going to harvest the crops, right? You think about the orange juice that you, you had this morning or in your mimosa on Sunday. You think about the wine that you enjoyed on Friday night at dinner. You think about the grapefruit juice or the grapefruit that you had, you know, for breakfast the other day or the bouquet of flowers that you got your boo. Who do you think picks all those things? The average American citizen, listen, no matter how broke, broke, broke you are, you're like, listen, I'll go work at Walmart. I'll go work at an Amazon fulfillment center. I'll go work at Burger King. At least it's air conditioned. I'll get, you know, an eight, eight, 10 hour day and I'll get minimum wage, right? Not still granted issues with regards to what minimum wage looks like in this country. And is that really a living livable wage? But again, as we're seeing recently coming out of the pandemic, more and more of these businesses are increasing how much they're paying people because that's the only way to be competitive. So you can go to Burger King and make $18 an hour. Are you going to pick that? Or are you going to pick being in a field in the heat, breaking your back, picking oranges for 14 hours? So the sad part is the undocumented migrants are doing jobs that American folks don't want to do. And as a result, there's a whole economic driver that's keeping immigration reform from happening. And just, I mean, just think about it logically, right? And when you have somebody who is undocumented, the other sad part is the undocumented workers get exploited. Because again, an American citizen is going to be like, you know what? No, you're going to pay me my minimum wage, right? They're not working under the table. But undocumented folks are, which means they can be paid $5, you know, for an hour or $100 for the day for backbreaking work. And that, of course, keeps the cost of orange juice down. It keeps the cost of, you know, various uh, flowers and all of these different things down. Because, again, the corporations don't have to and the, and the farmers don't have to pay as much in terms of staffing. And then they don't have to pass that cost on to the ultimate consumer. That's why, again, when you're thinking about the bigger picture of businesses leaving the United States to do production in other countries, Again, it's because they can get around the OSHA requirements of having a, a clean and safe environment. They don't have to pay the same amount of money for workers, right? So that's why in their mind, the it makes sense to their bottom line to produce things in other countries where they can pay less. So that's the whole economic driver, in my opinion, as to why we don't really have immigration reform in this country. Now, do I have the answer to this? Absolutely not. Right. But the answer isn't 
to lie to people and dump them on somebody else's doorstep. That's not immigration reform, right? And wasting the people's tax dollars behind it. Also, there's a question as to whether or not a crime was committed. Because when you think about human trafficking, human smuggling, things like that, how does that usually play out? It plays out with you promise a person, hey, if you come here or if you come work for me, you know, life is going to be fine. You're going to get a good wage, et cetera, et cetera. Then you walk in the door as a domestic worker in this rich family's home and they take your passport. They don't let you leave. They start abusing you. And now you're in a human trafficking type situation. Same parallel for human sex trafficking, right? Where again, you're being promised, oh yeah, come here. We got a job for you. Things are going to be great. And next thing you know, you're being, you know, forced into a room and having to, you know, do things that you don't want to do and that you certainly didn't sign up to do multiple times a day, right? And you're and, and being degraded and being assaulted. So here, the parallel is that these folks were lied to. They were promised a job. They got on a plane due to the promise of said job. And now they ended up in a situation where everybody else had to pitch in and help. Those lies, you got them to get on the plane based on a lie. And that's problematic. So now there's currently investigation by um, some, a, a Texas sheriff. We have multiple lawsuits. We have a lawsuit from Senator Jason Pizzo here in Florida to find out more information. Um, gubernatorial candidate Charlie Crist has also done a, a, a public information request to learn more about the details of this plan. You know the Department of Justice is looking at it. So again, a crime may have been committed Who's going to take the fall is going to be the question, right? Because it was not the governor who went down and told these people to get on the plane. It was at his direction. But who told who, who knew what and who knew what and when is going to be the big question as this investigation kind of pans out. So these are all things to think about in the run up to the election. Because again, if our tax dollars are being wasted, and there's no protection or benefit for the people of Florida, y'all got to think about that because that's our money. That's our hard-earned money that we pay in taxes that is being squandered on foolishness that has nothing to do with us. So there's that. So I'm going to leave it there for now. Lots of food for thought. Like I said, stand by for the various links that will um, shed light on the, some of these issues as well as ways to assist, uh, to assist folks impacted by Hurricane Ian. And lastly, I cannot um, end this broadcast without saying that this month is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. So please take the time to learn more about the different forms of domestic violence and how that can show up in someone's life. Learn how you can help people. Let's say if you know somebody who's going through this type of situation, ways that you can assist them, as well as ways to be able to talk to your kids, because one out of four kids will be involved in a domestic violence relationship before they leave high school. One out of four. So there's a high likelihood it could be your child or a child that's in your life. So make sure that you're educated and we do that all we can together to end the scourge of domestic violence. All right, y'all. Thanks for tuning in. 
like, comment, share, and also stay tuned for next week because I am so excited. I'm going to have uh, an indigenous activist and attorney. Her name is Summer Aubrey, and she's going to talk about Indigenous Peoples Day as well as the different ways we can support indigenous peoples in this country, as well as what we can do about this horrible epidemic of missing and murdered indigenous women and girls. All right, y'all, stay safe and take good care. Bye.